I love it. I get 70 miles a gallon on this hog. It's fantastic. But six of you got that joke. No, it's all good. Uh, listen, we are in the middle of our summer series. And some of you are thinking, hey, road trip or road to everywhere or love Jesus more. But we went, we went a little bit more crazy, right? Seven deadly sins. And uh, we are going to be diving in. It's been, I mean, it's been movies. It's been moments where you sit and go, I think I've heard about those before. And over the last 1,500 years, we've been in a place where we've talked about these things. And today we're going to dive into envy. And uh, ultimately, we want to get to the question and we want to get to the place where are there things that are getting in the way of you putting God first? Are there things getting in the way of you putting God first? And so the reason I am on this, I mean, here it, it runs. Let's... <laughs> Come on, wanted to do that all morning already. So I grew up in Denison, Iowa. Uh, I loved it there. We spent from the time I was in first grade to the time I was a junior in high school, had meatpacking plants. It doesn't get much better smells than that, let me tell you. But it was a moped town. And uh, I had a moped. I loved it. Uh, I remember going down to the Honda dealership. I, I sold the bike, which I would never do now for a moped. It's crazy. Anyway, Went down to the Honda dealership that used to be Skateland, but that's another story for another time. Uh, I had saved some paper out money. Mom and dad chipped in, and I sold my bike, and I had a Honda Spree. Top speed, 24 miles an hour on the flat. Um, downhill was exceptionally better. Let's just say that. But this, I was envious of my friends that had this, that had the Honda Elite. And the Honda Elite was like almost 35 on the flat, and left me in the dust, and my friends would be like, we'll see you at my house, man. I'd be like, you guys stink. And all of that to be said, we, we have those seasons, we have those moments, right, where, where we want something, we save up for it, and we put ourselves in a position to get it, and then something leaves us a little bit wanting more. We, we get to the place where we're like, yeah, that's what I wanted, but I really wanted this, and I was envious of my friends. Now, you can say, well, that was a little bit of jealousy. I agree, but if, if you knew the amount of times that I looked and said, I really want their moped. It was black. The Harms Brothers had one. I wanted theirs. And envy can take so many different twists and turns and grow. And we're going to look and we're going to dive in. And, and so tucked at the end of Genesis, uh, starting around chapter 37, we get introduced to someone named Joseph. And uh, just for, for just pure enjoyment, I would encourage you to read the story of Joseph. It's awesome. It's so much fun. And in the middle of it all, uh, we learn a few things about Joseph. Joseph is one of 12 brothers. He was actually number 11. He had a younger brother, a little bit younger than him, named Benjamin. And uh, he didn't necessarily always get along with his brothers. Uh, he was kind of a tattletale. And he, he had some self-awareness issues in the midst of his life. But he was bold, and God was speaking to him. And, and even in the midst of some of the things, he would share dreams with his brothers, and he would share dreams with his dad, and his brothers hated him for it. Not, not even that. On, fact, on top of the tattletales and on top of the, of the other things that, that went along with it, Joseph's dad did something that, that set it even more into motion. He gave him a coat of many colors. And this was essentially like one of the final straws that, that set them into a rage and set a plan into motion to do something different than with Joseph. 
And so what we learn from that is, and what you and I know maybe already, is that envy lays a trap every day. I don't know if you know this or not yet, but envy lays a trap. It doesn't take snow days. It doesn't call in sick. Envy just lays a trap for us every day. It puts us in a place where, where when we see something and we begin to just focus our sights and focus our attention, I, it was worse. I had to look at mopeds every day when I went to school. And the crazy part is, is that I had a moped, right? I had a red Honda Spree that, that there were other kids that I went to school with that had no moped. And it'd be like, you're going to walk somewhere? That sounds ridiculous. Get a moped, right? I had a moped. I had no reason to be in a place of going, you have it, I don't. But I was because I was still focused in on those things. And, and I think so often when it comes to envy, we don't stop and go, okay, hold on. What am I doing to make sure that I keep this in check? Because envy, we give it a voice and we give it a seat at our table. Because it lays a trap, we have a decision like, what does it look like for us to give it a voice and a seat at the table? And, and it's just very interesting to me how often that works against us, that, that we allow voices in and out of our head. And you know this, right? Like, that guy cut me off, or this happened, or I can't understand this. You and I are always well aware of those voices that are in our head, pushing us or pulling us one way or another, and putting us in a place. And, and we think it's somebody else that's laying the trap, because I think we feel really good at blame. We really feel good at blaming others in the sense that they, they're doing it to me. They made me make that decision. But, but ultimately, it's really us laying the trap for ourselves. And we have nobody but to blame but us because we walk right into it. And I think that's something that, that frustrates us. I know what frustrates me when I think that I've, <laughs> I've pinpointed the person that's making me envious or making me feel those feelings when I realize I'm the one giving it a voice every day and allowing it to speak into my life and allowing it to derail me from where I want to be and where I want to go. But that never matters though, right? There's always something and, and there's always something our, in our, that our minds do and you can relate to that. And, and it never stops. It's never like we come to a season of life where we go, I'm done. I've, I've reached the max of being envious. No matter the season of life, we find things to be envious, and social media doesn't help. Like, we can spend time on social media, and we can look and say, I can't believe they're on vacation again. How did their kid get on that team? Man, I would, what I could do with that smoker, what I could do if I had that car. I mean, that electric Bronco looks pretty epic. And we find ourselves in the midst of these moments wishing if only my wife or my husband would do that, what if my kids acted like that? And we become envious of anything and everything that we can, we can put up in front of us and, and allow those voices inside of us to say, you know what? You might be better off if you had that. You, you definitely would be more respected if that was in your driveway. Or if, if somebody looked at you with that makeup of a family, that, you'd be there. And, and those voices ring true far too often. And as parenting, it doesn't get any easier, right? Like, I am trying desperately, I have four daughters, for them to live their lives. But yet, when I know when they go on social media and those moments where they're on or they see something, somebody is definitely telling them, 
hey, you're missing out if you're not doing this. Did you see what they did? Do you know what they said about this? And, and social media is capturing our minds and our attention of our young people in such a way that, that draws them in, that tries to get that seat at the table, that tries to derail them from thinking things outside of what we as parents tell them. Like I tell my girls, and I think I've shared it with you, I want you to listen to three voices. I want you to listen to God's voice, I want you to listen to mom's voice, and I want you to listen to dad's voice. And I'm not trying to disrespect my parents or her parents, they're awesome. But if anything or anyone tells them anything outside of what we tell them, I want them to, to have a red flag go up and say, that's a lie. Because my mom and dad would tell me the truth and I know what God says about me. And they can begin to decipher and go, that voice, that's not a real voice. And I'm not going to listen to that. Because in the midst of all of the time that we spend in different places, that voice longs to get to the front of the line to grab our attention. Rarely, this is the kicker for me in this scenario of online stuff, rarely do we know everything that is going on in the midst of people's lives. Rarely do we know the struggles, the tension, the, the private wrestlings that are taking place in the lives of those individuals that we look and we say they have it together, everything is going on great in their lives. I don't know how they manage being so awesome <laughs> and I'm here but yet maybe down deep, maybe in the middle of life, they are struggling, they're wrestling, they're not being real, they're not being true to themselves. And one thing I know that, that the Psalm says in Psalm 37, one, it says, don't worry about the wicked or envy those who do wrong. Those that seem like they're getting ahead or they're doing things that just make life so easy and, and they're, they're never in a place, they're never in a place where they have any strife. And the Bible clearly states, listen, don't worry about those people. Don't focus in. Don't, don't set your mind on those things. Focus in on who I am. And what does it mean for us to, to digest that verse as followers of Jesus? Because I think there's a wrestling that takes place in the middle of that. And so in the, in the next sense, like envy wrestles for full control. It doesn't just want a little bit. It wants... It wants full control. It doesn't want to just say, hey, this is something you can handle. This is something that, that I think is manageable for you. No, envy wants full control of your life. It wants you to be so consumed that you miss moments, you miss time, you miss engagements, you miss actually being present in the midst of your own life right now. Which, let's be honest, we all struggle with that anyway, right? If we're not at work, sometimes we're thinking about work. If we're at some event with friends, we're like, oh, if I could really just get that front yard done or if we could just get this taken care of and we wrestle with all those thoughts because envy wrestles for full control and, and, and I think we get a clear picture of what that looks like in the relationship with Joseph and his brothers. If we go back to that story just a moment, Joseph's brothers look at him in Genesis 37, 19 and 20. It says, here comes that dreamer, they said. So they've already disconnected him from, from being a brother. He's just a dreamer now. Come, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns. We can tell our father a wild animal is eaten. And then let's see what becomes of his dreams. This idea that, that there is a disparagement. Let's see what happens to his dreams. And this dreamer, they've already disassociated him as a brother. And they've allowed themselves to walk into this place 
to grab onto these things that now they would have control. If they disassociate themselves from him being even family, it makes it easier for them to maybe take a step that they were ready to take. But envy was stealing the show for them. They were, they were tired of getting ratted on by their brother. They were, they were tired of him getting the attention with this coat of many colors. They were sick and tired of hearing about his dreams, dreams that involved them bowing down to him. I don't know about you, that doesn't sound like a great dream. Like if one of your siblings comes to you and says, hey, I had a dream the other night where you bowed down to me. And Joseph went as far as the sun and the moon and the stars. And I don't know what riles you up, what it takes, because we all have those things, right, that in the midst of our lives rile us up, that when somebody says something, and Joseph's brothers were there. Joseph's brothers were there engaging those thoughts every time they saw him. We've got to do something about Joseph. Because one of the things that I've come to understand is that envy, the power of envy never loses its strength. The power of envy never loses its strength. It's one of those things that grows and becomes stronger. And as long as we pitch our tent in that camp, it is something that continues to be a place in our lives that that sooner than later, you're gonna be like, how did I get to this place? How did I find myself wrestling and not being able to walk away from this scenario? Because there is a passage of scripture in Proverbs that gives us a very clear idea, not just physically, mentally, but physically. A heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. How many of you would say, I'll take the first part of that verse, right? I want life, I want peace in my body. What a, what a crazy contrast, the idea of peace and the idea of rotting. I mean, I don't know about you, but I hate going to the dentist because they remind me of everything that I've done. They're like, hey, I think we have some decay there. And you're like, listen, just do what you have to do. Don't tell me, and then I'll go back and eat suckers because I love suckers. But this sense, this idea of something is rotting, and, and we've been in places, whether you've been on a hike, and you're like, that's not pleasant. And we all know what that looks like. We all know the things that are associated with this idea of something rotting, of something deteriorating right in front of us. And, and envy masks does such a great job of making us think like we're striving for this idea of peace. But really on the undersurface, the underside of that, envy is slowly rotting our bones. And we have no idea what is really happening. And that, I think, to me, that scares me to death. But essentially, you have two scenarios here, right? You have life, a life of peace, or a life of rotting, a life of decay, of something that is slowly dying. And what I know, and what you've seen, and maybe you've seen it in someone's life, envy, envy takes us where we never intended to go. Because you hear it. You hear it on the news, right? You hear moments where somebody gets caught in an act or they get caught for a crime and like, I never intended to be here. I never intended to have this happen. I never wanted this to be the end result. Because envy doesn't say, well, let's just take him to a nice place where we can engage this. No, envy says, I know where I'm going and I've got you hooked and you're along for the ride. So I need you to strap on your seatbelt and let's go. Joseph's brother spoke of killing him of getting rid of him, and they were all right with the consequences. Joseph's brothers had disconnected and, and brought themselves to a place 
of such a mindset that they were okay with never seeing him again outside of the reality of what that would mean to his dad and to the family and what Joseph brought to the family. And what I know is maybe you've been doing this to yourself, maybe emotionally or maybe, maybe financially, you, you never intended to get into this hole. You never intended to get involved this far in. You never intended to allow this to be the place where you felt like you had to draw a line. And that is a miserable place because in that place you sense something is, is slowly decaying from the life that you started with or the life that you intended to happen or have happened or be a part of what you wanted to do. And one thing that I understand is a lie compounds a lie. And envy leads with a lie. It builds on it. Uh, there's this old marriage analogy of the rug. And maybe you've heard of it. If you haven't, well, here you go for the first time. When issues come and when frustrations happen or lies take place or irritations are happening in your marriage and you sweep those things under the rug and you refuse to talk about it, you go a little bit and everything's good and then something else happens and you sweep a little more under the rug and, and suddenly after a while you notice the, there's a, the rug that was once beautiful in your living room has a big mound on it and you're like, well, that, I can't put a coffee table over it. People are going to notice. Can't vacuum around it. So like dust is forming on this thing, and you're like, I guess, what, what if I just step on it? And the moment you step on it, everything from under the rug comes out. And everything that was once swept under there so nicely and so discreetly becomes something that is so public. And you sit there looking at the carnage of, of what was under that rug, and the moments you chose not to be truthful, and you chose to cover something up that could have been dealt with long ago, and you find yourself dealing with those hurts and dealing with those issues, envy's will is to separate and destroy. That is its ultimate end game. Whether you want to admit it or not, when we give envy a seat at the table, when we allow it to take us where we never intended to go, envy wants to separate us from what we know in this life that God wants for us and to destroy us. In James 3.14, but if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, don't boast about it or deny the truth. There's that denial again. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. Those are some sobering thoughts, right? I mean, if you, if you take a step back to John 10.10, it only validates it even more. Like the enemy comes to kill, steal, and destroy. But what does Jesus do? Jesus came so that we could have life and life to the full. And that's, that's what he wants. He wants us to have a full life. He wants us to have the scenario that, that we come to a place of walking away from envy, something that wants to rot our bones, that separate us, to destroy us. As opposed to what? what a life with Christ wants and, and coming to a place of peace and life to the full. And it's amazing that when we say those things out loud that we even wrestle. The idea of wrestling with those things is almost too intense to think about, right? Because if you placed rotting, deceased things in front of you or something that you think and envision life to the full, you, I don't know of anyone that would pick the rotting, deceased thing. It just, but yet we do it all the time. 
We do it all the time. We say, I think, I think I'd like that. Because the enemy does such a good job of trying to mask it. So that's why it's important for us to know who Christ is and what he desires for us. So, so what are we going to do? Envy defines and shouts out what we already know. We are not content. We are not content. So if we're not content, how do we flip the script? How do we come to a place of saying, envy has me, I don't want it, I want to be content. I want to be free from this. I don't want to be wrestling with this scenario anymore. I want to live in freedom and peace. I think we have to name it. If we're going to flip the script, we have to name it. And this is where this card comes in. I want to encourage you to grab that right now. Maybe, maybe you already know what I'm about to do. Maybe you don't. But let me lay it out for you. All of us have things in the midst of our lives where envy is, is creeping in or it is at the door or maybe we are full into it. And I believe that if we are going to walk away and, and detach from it and focus in on what Christ has for us in a relationship with God, we've got to be willing to name it. What are we envious of? What, what has envy lied to us about? What is it that I would challenge you right now to write something on there? To write what you are dealing with when it comes to envy. And here in a little bit, towards the end of service, we're going we're gonna to invite you to come up. We're going to invite you to come up. So write it on there, fold it up. You don't have to let the person next to you see it unless, unless you need the validation. Yep, that's, that's definitely you. That's what you're envious of but I want to encourage you to take that out, write it on there, fold it up, put it right next to you, and here in a little bit, we're going to lay those down, and I'm going to invite you up here in a little bit. But I think we have to name it. I know we have to name it. We have to be in a place of being honest with ourselves, and Craig Rochelle, who's a pastor uh, of Life Church, said a great quote. You are only as honest, as strong as you are honest. You are only as strong as you are honest. This sense and this scenario that if we are going to be content, there has to be the sense that we are focusing on honesty, that we are focusing on being accountable and truthful with the things that are in front of us, the things that we wrestle with, the things that are real. So how do we do that? How do we begin to walk this out? How do we even have any, do we even have any examples? And, and I believe we get one of those examples out of Paul in Philippians 4. Philippians 4, he writes, I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. Some of you are like, are you serious? Did he really just say that? Any circumstances? I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. Whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Don't you wish it was that easy as he made it sound? Some of you are like trying to, trying to wrestle this or going, well, yeah, but I mean, he lived back in the day where they didn't have social. I mean, listen, wants are wants, right? Things that we are envious of, like whatever the case is, it doesn't, you and I both know that, that it doesn't take much of anything for us to get envious of something that's in front of us that someone has. But Paul says he found a place whether well-fed or hungry, whether in need or having plenty, that he knew how to be content. Because I believe he drew on the strength and avoided the trap. He drew on the strength and wrestles 
to win. He never lived here, and it sounds unrealistic, but, but how do you and I take a verse like this and begin to walk it out? How do you and I see this and go, could that really be me? And I think socially that means taking control of input, of the constant bombardment, of flipping the script, of, of allowing ourselves to be sucked in, to be giving that envy a seat at the table and telling us that we're missing and that we're, we're, we're not there if we don't have. Because as long as we allow ourselves to be centered in and focused and consumed on what others have, we're always going to struggle. And we'll miss and we'll take for granted those things that are right in front of us. The family that you have, the job that you have, the things that are going on in your life that call you to say, am I more than enough? Do you realize that I'm taking care of you at every turn? And yet, we're reminded of what David writes as well. So it's not just Paul, David. The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. What does that even mean? What does it mean? Like this idea, this idea kind of goes back to when the Israelites were in the desert and they didn't have any food and the Lord supplied manna every day. Not manna for next week, not manna for, for next month. He supplied the food for that day. So the Lord was essentially saying, I am more than enough. And I believe we, we often say this, I don't have all I need. God, you are not more than enough. God, I really would love some more. And God's saying, listen, can, can you be happy with what you have? Can you be content with what's in front of you? Because it is ultimately more than so many others have right now. And so I would challenge you. I want to say this out loud. I want to say more than enough. Listen, more than enough. What does it really mean to, to own that, to say, God, you are more than enough. I have all that I need because contentment speaks. What I know is contentment speaks. We, ha we have to combat envy with reality and truth. We have to combat, combat envy with reality and truth. We have to be real. We have to be honest. We have to, we have to expose the lie that we have to have more, that we have to have this, or we have to have that. There's a, there's a quote that from, from an atheist named Luke Ferry that uh, I believe hits it on the head. Uh, we live virtually all our lives somewhere between memories and aspirations, past and future, nostalgia and expectation. We imagine we would be much happier with new shoes, a faster computer, a bigger home, a more exotic holiday, different friends, but by regretting the past or guessing about the future, we end up missing the only life worth living, the one which proceeds from the here and now and deserves to be favored. Deserves to be savored. When I hear that word savored, I think of Fogo de Chao. Fogo de Chao is like my favorite restaurant. Like if, if I was ever on death row and you're like, hey, what would you like for your last meal? Take me to Fogo de Chao where they bring, they bring these meats on skewers and they like carve the piece of meat specifically for you that has been going around this fire. Man, if savor doesn't cover that, like every morsel, I want to enjoy it. And, and I need you to get that picture in your head, this idea of savor, that every morsel, that every bite that leads us to a place of really 
really loving the life that you have. Psalm 90.12 says, teach us to realize the brevity of life so that we may grow in wisdom. Listen, I do a lot of funerals and I talk and I talk with families. And so many of them, we have the same conversation. I never knew that his life would end so short or I never knew she would be gone from us. I, I, there were so many more things. There was so much more to say. And this verse is one of my favorite verses in all of the Bible. Teach us to understand the brevity of life. I, for me, the easiest thing to do is relate this to my wife and my kids. Like, am I giving them the best? And, and honestly, there are days where I don't give them my best. And I feel it. I sense that. But man... <laughs> I want to be intentional every day that I have. I want to be wiser today than I, than I was yesterday. I want to grow in wisdom to, to give all that I can, my attention, my focus, because I have so much to be grateful for. I have so much in life that is such a blessing. Active intentionality about the voices that speak in our mind, that call us to, to listen, to, to be content, and to leave envy in the dust. So how, what's another way we can do that? Contentment, contentment gives God's voice the priority. Contentment gives God's voice the priority. Let's go back to Joseph for a moment. In, Joseph, in Genesis 50, 20, Joseph could have been consumed with envy. He could have been consumed with what they did to him because they never forgot what they did to him. And when they were in front of him kneeling down, which was a fulfillment of that dream, Joseph said, what you intended for evil, God intended for good to save the life of so many. When we realize that God has us, his plan is perfect. Even though the world's view, there are serious bumps, we can live content. Doesn't mean there won't be bumps, but God has us. Contentment helps us live a fulfilled life. Contentment helps us live a fulfilled life. Being gracious, being thankful. Ways that you can bless others. He's got you. He's got you on mission to share the reality of what it looks like to live a life for, for God, connected to him, being content with everything that is in front of you. Proverbs 23, 17 through 19. Don't envy sinners but always continue to fear the Lord. You will be rewarded for this. Your hope will not be disappointed. If I get into, give into envy, what do I deal with? You know what it is. It's destruction, it's separation, it's rotting. But if we don't focus on envy and we focus on the things of the Lord and what he has for us, that, that we can be content in every situation, that he is all that we need, we'll be rewarded and we'll have life and life with him. And this hope does not disappoint. So how do we not let envy steal the here and now? How do we work at getting back to what has been robbed and stolen and begin living and loving a life and living it right now? Be intentional, be accountable, be grateful. Because there's a question I want to ask you outside of the paper that I had you write something down on. Where do you see envy in your life? Maybe you need to sit down with someone. Maybe you need to sit down with someone this week and say, hey, I need to ask you, where do you see envy in my life? 
and begin walking out a life of following hard after Christ and being content with everything that he has blessed you with so that you will have peace, that you will have life. So on that card, you wrote something. And so I'm gonna pray for us. And the band is band's gonna play a song. So after the prayer and they begin singing, you can feel free to bring that up. There's buckets up here. You can feel free to just drop that in the bucket. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, Thank you so much for your word that, that has been challenged, challenging to me this week. Thank you for the moments where you've led me to, to pray and to ask for you to work in my life in areas where I have allowed envy to have a prominent voice at the table and, and just knowing that I need to walk away from it, that I need to surrender that area to you, that I, that I want you to bring peace and life to that scenario. Thank you for loving us in such an amazing way and for calling us to love you more each day. Thank you for the way in which you provide and the way in which you bless and the promise of your word that draws us closer to you. Heavenly Father, we ask all these things in your amazing name. Amen.